This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And welcome to 2024 again. <laughs> welcome back. Everybody's we're, sick. We're several weeks into what billboards in my neighborhood refer to as sick season. I hate it. <laughs> new year, new you. You're going to be sick all the time. Yep. 2024. There's a lot of, there's like hospital systems in our area that that talk about getting prepped for sick season and i yeah. just don't mm-hmm. like it i mean you could turn it turn it around like oh sick it's it's sick season this, Ooh, oh, ah, this season ah. this the season's gonna be sick get up get down with the sick season mm-hmm. um yeah i once worked out while i was ill and told someone i had a sick workout why did you do that? <laughs> Why would you do that? There's no better reason not to work out than to be sick. Yeah. It was, it was college. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. And somebody thought that I was bragging about how good my workout was. I mean, it does sound that way. This also sounds like something I've probably said on the pod before. Welcome to our book podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Andrew and I are both a little under the weather. So the energy here is going to be good. And listen, I mean, the weather's pretty high up right now in Philadelphia. We wouldn't have to. We could be normal and still be a little under it. But that is also like we're, true. We're, we're way under it right now. Yes. Um, I'm going to try to refrain from just snuffling straight into the mic, but I'm not. I can't make any promises. Uh, we've, you know, we've never done a real survey before, Andrew, but I feel like just face noises into the microphone (laughs) i do wonder like if we gave people the option like okay you want your podcast 6 a.m on monday every week like we've done for like 10 seven years Mm -hmm. seven or eight years or if we're sick and we sound the the audio experience is subpar would you rather we wait a minute (laughs) i'm just curious i just don't know i don't know what people would prefer i think people like consistency but I think our advertisers that means consistency, like consistency. Consistency and in scheduling as well as vocal yeah. noises. Well, <laughs> it, what's the old adage, you get one or the other. That's the yeah. adage. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week's book, which Andrew read, tell me what it's called and who wrote it. It's called The Witch Elm by Tana French, friend of the show. <laughs> French of the show. French of the show, Tana French. We've read her like two or three other times. I know I read The Likeness, which is that one... Where that woman disguises herself as that other woman, yep. and then you've read at least one, yes? Yeah, so episode uh, 054, In the Woods, is uh, the book that I read. It was the first in her Dublin Murder Squad series, and then episode 188, Andrew read The Likeness, which is the second book in her Dublin Murder Squad series. We wanted to, Andrew pitched French class as one of our patrons' choice polls for the month uh-huh. of January. And so we included one book from the Murder Squad series, this book, which is a her only standalone novel, and the first of her new series, which I don't know if it has a name, but they're set in America, um, the, the Searcher, and then the next book is coming out in March of 2024, The Hunter. Um, there's a guy's name who's like the main character, and I think that is the only like thing i've heard the series the, referred to. <laughs> the synopses of these books on wikipedia actually if you read that like the table they get progressively shorter as you <laughs> yes yeah, you sure. go down so by the time you get down to the witch elm it just says standalone novel recognizes new york times noble book of 2018 and npr best book of 2018 and then when you get to the searcher which is right after that it just says cal hooper no no, no punctuation oh wow okay the, the cal hunter hooper cal books. hooper no, cal hooper number two okay sure 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 I'm going to call them the New York Murder Squad. I don't know. Maybe. You know, branding. I feel like Law & Order already has that kind of locked down, though. <laughs> well, and then he branched off into Chicago. 
Mm-hmm. They have Chicago Wednesdays are back, Andrew. I don't know if you oh, knew. Oh, really? That. Yeah. I did not know. I, I didn't Med know. Thank you for Fire telling me. Justice. Is the other one Chicago Cops? Listen, man, I don't know. All right. <laughs> I don't I can't follow you where you're going right now. <laughs> Dick Wolf, come on the pod. Um <laughs> so we've talked about Tana French before, as we've said. Um, just a reminder, she's an American Irish writer. Born in Vermont in 1973, studied at Trinity College Dublin and kind of just moved to Ireland, uh, was trained as an actor, began writing in between acting gigs, had long enough, you know, as, as most people who try to make it in the biz know, uh-huh. sometimes times are tough, you need to occupy yourself, and she writes a novel in the woods, and it blows up, and she becomes this, you know, famed mystery plus mystery slash literary novel writer it's like mysteries that are also trying to do another thing or two usually yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and so she wrote six of those books in the dublin murder squad series uh the first of which was in the woods in 2007 and the last was the trespasser in 2016 she won several uh Book prizes, um, including the LA Book uh, LA Times Book Prize for Broken Harbor, um, and then the first two books. This happened since we've talked about her last, Andrew. The first two books were adapted into a BBC One slash Stars series. You know, oh boy! Alt- so nobody, so nobody seen it. <laughs> I think people in the UK. How many people in the UK it. have seen it? People, I like. I don't know what precise sequence of streaming services I need to subscribe to to watch stars content I, here I think but it's buried like, in Amazon because I maybe. think that's how mm. we sign up for Outlander I watched party down which I think oh. was stars but I don't rem- I think I just got a, a free month of <laughs> yeah. stars which then turned into a free month and then one paid month and then I canceled it yeah, instantly yeah, after yeah. because <laughs> there's nothing out. else on stars I that tr- I wanted to watch I think it's Outlander because I try to time out my one month of stars so that Laura can watch all of the new season of Outlander uh-huh. at once and then I inevitably mm-hmm. forget and pay for another month I or think two. like when, when Susanna Finish The Walking Dead, which is people oh are always God. people are always so stunned when I say, yeah, my wife finished The Walking Dead. It was just whenever it hit Netflix, she didn't seek it out. Just whenever it hit Netflix, they would advertise it to her. And she's like, well, I guess I'm doing this. And I think that's her relationship with Outlander, too, is whenever it hits Netflix or wherever it gets like syndicated yeah. to yep. is when she watches it. Yep, yeah. sure. Um, but the Dublin Murders series is available out there for you to watch. It came out in 2019. There were talks of making a second series. Uh, the first series adapted the first two books, In the Woods and the Likeness. Um, but you might something happened after 2019 that I think derailed a lot of conversations. Huh. wonder what it was. Weird. Eh, not worth talking about, not probably. Worth talking about. The movie Cats. No, mm-hmm. not worth talking about. The movie Cats um, came out and it changes the creative <laughs> landscape forever. <laughs> if you're interested in the pedigree of that series, though, uh, the creator Sarah Phelps had made several Agatha Christie adaptations for the BBC prior. So if that's like a thing you're into, uh, if Tana French is someone you're into, then maybe you want to go check that out. Um, Andrew, I yes? knew nothing about this book coming into it. No, me neither. Um, I knew it was probably about a tree in some way. Because of the title. Yeah, or else yeah. like a metaphor for a tree. I don't know. I was I was prepared to be surprised either way. <laughs> Uh, I have a few quotes about why Tana French like moved on from the murder squad. Is that did you want to talk about that here? I'll just I will just say that though it does technically move on from the Dublin murder squad in so far as the protagonist is not a member of a Dublin murder squad. Yeah. He is near Dublin and there are detectives in it, so it's kind of I did have to check a couple times to see if I was supposed to know any of the detectives oh, who showed sure. up, which I don't think I don't think I was. But it's almost like you're on the, you know, you you pick some ancillary character from a Dublin Murder Squad book to follow around, like some ancillary suspect, and that's who the book is about. Because yeah. there's still detectives in it, and you still have sort of cat and mouse conversations between suspects and suspectors. <laughs> but, no, that that but yeah that jives uh with what she said about the book um telling uh, entertainment weekly they asked this was your first standalone novel why do it 
Um, and she felt like the last book in the Murder Squad series was um, about the whole squad itself. Um, and that kind of wrapped up that series a little bit. And she didn't want to fall into the trap of writing the same book over and over. Quote, I wanted to try something completely different. And I've always had detectives for narrators. I like the idea of seeing the story from the other side, from the side of someone who considers detectives to be a terrifying and tricky force. Yeah. Um, and as my understanding, there are a couple different characters through which she explores that notion. Yeah, definitely. Um, but just like taking the... There was a vulture interview from 2018 with Lila Shapiro as well, where she talks about um, the idea is that... Uh, oh, sorry. That's a different quote about power that I don't, I don't yeah. want to get to yet. Whoops. Okay, great. Um, but that the basic parts of a procedural... All of the evidence gathering and the interrogations and things are very different when you're viewing them from the perspective of the police. And she wanted to find uh, a perspective that was a little bit different and kind of flipped the script a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that lines up with what she has said about like kind of her big themes of this book, which I don't know if you want to talk about that now or if we should wait until you lay out some plot yeah, stuff. We can, we can wait until I lay out pasta. But- okay. What do you want to talk about? Um, the last thing I'll just talk about is that the inspiration for this book are her themes, which which we can talk about after the break, and this real thing that happened that her brother sent her. She got a, like a text or an email from her brother that was like, this sounds like a ton of French novel. And it was a story about this graffiti that was found in 19... Well, okay. The graffiti showed up because of a skeleton that was found in a tree. <laughs> okay. And this was this happened in Worcestershire, England. I I mm-hmm. only know how to pronounce the sauce. I don't know if it's sauce. the same as the town. No, I think it's the I think it's the same. Okay. Um, I am going to assume it's the same. <laughs> okay, sorry. Why would we have two different labyrinthine <laughs> pronunciations for the same word? Like if the inventors of the sauce were like, "No, it's different." What if but the it's sauce still is not, a person but it's, and the city is like something else? It's different, but it's still not phonetic. I don't care. I, I'm, <laughs> just deal with it. That would be cruel. So in 1943, uh, four boys came across this large witch elm tree. Uh, they were bird nest hunting. Wait, which elm tree? The elm tree on the Hagley estate mm-hmm. um, in Worcestershire or near Worcestershire. <laughs> And they were bird nest hunting. They climbed up the tree. They discovered a human skull in the trunk. And they all went home because they didn't want to get in trouble. And then one of them was like, "Uh, I should probably tell an adult. And they called the cops and the cops did an investigation. And they found a near complete skeleton in the tree, a hand not far from the tree. And uh, the coroners estimated that it had been 18 months since the body passed away. Hmm. Uh, they and then like a little ways after, some graffiti shows up that just says, "Who put Bella down the witch elm?" Whoa! And this versions of this graffiti have shown up in this town every few years, like since. Like it's just because nobody knows who this was and mm-hmm. what happened. There is a contemporaneous report from like the early 1940s of a sex worker named Bella who had disappeared. And had been missing for a little while, so I think that's where the name Bella comes from. But there are other like, what? What if it was a World War II spy? What if people were doing the occult? Like, you know, what if people were doing the occult? Yeah, that's a good question. There are all sorts of theories, but I don't think uh, anything has come of it. French has given multiple quotes about like not being interested in contemporary true crime uh-huh. because it involves people who are like still around and actively yeah and there's still the, the voyeuristic like yeah. part of it um and so this is about as like contemporary as she wants to get is like a story from the 40s that might maybe part of her this novel. is a maybe this is a person who was turned into a tree by a spell by and which they still and there's and their human skeleton is still kind of in the middle of it that was like all. part of the deal that they signed yeah yeah sure mm-hmm. and the fine print so you, so you removed this tree's bones is what you did oh no <laughs> no thank you it's like if they looked at you and like man they're inside this this skin man i've found a skeleton <laughs> oh no this skin man do you yeah, think I that's, want, that's yeah. i mean that's what the skeletons call us yeah skin skinnies 
Skinners. Skinners. No. Don't like it. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, Andrew, then you could tell me how this uh Bella story factors into the novel, which I understand is about other things too. Yes. Sounds good. show is sponsored by better help andrew what's working for you as we enter 2024 <laughs> like what's already what are you already doing well i mean if, if talking about what's working for me i do have a series of contractors kind of working on my basement sure at, at present and so that sort of is working for me that is and you have managed that effectively you yeah. got them mm-hmm. in you got the guys yes right? i feel like the, the like executive function part of my brain is is burned out but i did manage to get all the guys that i needed to fix my basement. gotta get the guys gotta get those guys i ask because every new year's we get obsessed with changing ourselves instead of focusing on expanding what we're already doing right you know you know maybe you've knocked out an organizing project and there's another one you can tackle maybe you're like andrew you've been you know your executive functioning part of your brain is on fire <laughs> just summoning guys to your house you're doing a mm-hmm. great job mm-hmm. um, therapy can help you find your strengths so that you can ditch extreme new year's resolutions and make changes that really stick uh, therapy is a great way to take inventory of yourself your circumstances so that if you do want to make changes in your life it's easier to develop an effective game plan if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's online, convenient, and can be suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot overdue. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Craig, a witch elm is a kind of tree. And, you know, websites also have trees, like dom dom trees. Dom trees? Yeah, and I, listen, I know that dom trees are a thing, but I don't know what they is, and I don't know how to explain them to you. And luckily, thanks to Squarespace, I don't need to know because they handle all of it. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. You don't need to know CSS, HTML, dom trees, uh, W. 3C, you don't need to know any of this stuff because Squarespace handles it all with their beautiful drag and drop templates, their 24-7 customer support, and all the other things that we've always loved about them. I do love them. It's okay. true. <laughs> I use their website all the time. Mm-hmm. The other thing about trees is they're full of sap, and sap is a kind of fluid. It's the fluid engine. That's one thing we love about Squarespace. It's a coursing next generation. Coursing through this tree. It's coursing through the tree of your website will be the fluid engine, a next generation website design system from Squarespace. It's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. Start with the best in class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. You also have flexible website templates. You know, they say like a tree in the wind, you're supposed to bend, you're not supposed to. Then don't you know, break. Yep. Yeah. Uh, get started with one of our one of our professional website templates with designs for every category and use case. Then customize your look, update content, and add features to fit your unique needs. You can make any Squarespace template do what you want, so your idea, brand, or business stands out online on every device. It also give you blogging tools. Hey, help! I'm trapped in this tree. Post. That's you on your Squarespace <laughs> website. They have powerful blogging tools that you can use to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. Categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. If all this sounds good, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com/overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com/overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Andrew, Craig, we don't normally do this, no. but sometimes, I mean, podcasting, we do normally do. <laughs> we, do we do norm every week. We don't typically do it this way, but it felt like a good uh, entry into the conversation. I have a mm-hmm. few uh, reviews. They have three stars, and they're from a website. Mm-hmm. Do you know Which the website? name of the website? Uh, uh, is it... Uh, MySpace. No. Where is it? Is it? It's Goodreads. Oh, it's Goodreads. Three star Goodreads review. There it is. Wow. <laughs> you are down with the sickness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have two mostly overlapping Goodreads reviews here that I think hit the 
the general take on this novel from folks who aren't like all in the tank. Like I did, I read who a aren't like French build. I read a a mostly French pilled <laughs> review by one Stephen King of all people in the mm-hmm. New York Times. Whoa, New York um, Times, <laughs> New York Times, who was pretty effusive in his praise for it. Um, but here's here's some from from the people. You know what I mean? Uh, Dan says once the mystery really kicked in, the book was good, almost great. Before that, I felt like French was padding things until she figured out whether she was writing a literary novel or one of her usually or her usual literary mystery hybrids. A third of the book is too much set up for what was basically a whodunit, no matter how well written it is. And Dem says, The Witch Elm is a slow burner, and I honestly had difficulty getting into this one due to the slow buildup of the story. I love French's character development and her writing and language is faultless. While the plot was tight and imaginative, I did feel it took way too long for the story to unravel, but I did hang in there and was glad that I did, as the book did liven up in the second half, and I enjoyed the story's conclusion. So, do those two folks' experiences line up with yours, and how does that kind of get us into talking about what the book is at all? There's another three-star Goodreads review that I read that, that talked about how um, 54 of the 509 pages are devoted to a confession, which is entirely too much ink for a conversation between three characters. Huh. I skimmed or quickly read the last third of the novel. So it's interesting that people are like bouncing off different Oh, interesting. I had not seen that. Things. Okay. Like, some people don't seem to like the initial fairly slow burn setup. Some people don't really seem to care as much for the conclusion. I think I would say like I was, I enjoyed this mostly. I think at just like a, a prose and story structure level, I still like ton of French a lot. Like yeah. I, I was excited to go to French class because I knew whichever book of hers that we, we, we read would, would be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I, I, the, the ending of it didn't really do a, ton for me especially like the ending ending which i don't know if we even want to like talk about because i i think that even more than than the typical book that we do i think this book really relies on its its twists like the twists sure. that come in like the last hundred pages or so especially huh um which i don't know like it's maybe it's not an enviable enviable position for the for the book to to be in because it does have things to say but i just don't I don't know. I, I this this was very much a three star overdue review <laughs> for me personally. Um, writing for NPR, Beth Ann Patrick said, oh, "We know her. Yeah, that the last hundred pages were the heart of the novel. Like that's that is actually her favorite part of the novel, or at least the part that she thinks." Is the most of what it is, I suppose. I, yeah, I don't want to say I don't want to say I dislike it. We can talk about like the thematic yeah. Yeah, stuff because yeah, yeah. I think I think most of the like thematic things are deployed really really well. So we we talked about this in show prep a little bit, but the her choice of protagonist is interesting. She's chosen this guy Toby Hennessy, so who is just like a twenty eight years old. He's a straight white guy. He is he like works PR at a small art gallery. Um. And he seems like to to be doing pretty well. Like he's he's um, I don't want to say he's like coasting through life, but he admits to himself at one point that he is just kind of a lucky guy. Like things mostly just kind of work out for him when he does get into trouble. He is pretty confident in his ability to just like talk his way out of things. Yep. And that's yeah. And, And the book is a lot of what the book is about is kind of him realizing that there are like systemic reasons for that sure yeah Um, every interview she gave about this book because every interview had the layup question of why did you stop doing murder squad books why is this book about this guy toby uh it is also this book is coming out when 2018 yeah Mm -hmm. um so it's coming out when we are you know me too has happened um, and a lot of pe- and a lot of the interviews mention that in some way, shape, or form, if not directly, because uh, you've got this novel about a you know straight white male middle class dude learning about the world around him um, and what he has taken for granted. And she's like, she says that she didn't set out to write the novel like directly in relation to that, but the culture kind of seeps into your brain. 
Um, sure. She the the exact quote I wanted to pull came from a Penguin interview um, with you know the publisher. An interview with a penguin? Yeah, a penguin Wild. who publishes books said, bark, 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 bark. Ah, I'm she... gonna get I'm gonna get you, Batman. <laughs> now to now to read this novel. And she said of the main funny stuff. Of the main character. <laughs> <laughs> she said of the main character, he had to be male and he had to be white and he had to be straight and he had to be middle class. If he wasn't playing the game on the easiest setting, it would make him much more likely to be aware of other people's realities. And that's about Toby specifically. Every other interview, she at least mentions this uh, theme she's been pulling at, which is like luck and empathy. And mm-hmm. she talks about being like when you're very lucky growing up and then whether or not you are able to empathize with people who have not been as fortunate as you. One of the other examples she gives in like half of the interviews I read is her being like, I grew up in a you know, pretty well-adjusted family. You know, I was safe and people loved me. And when people, you know, who I met would talk about, you know, an abusive family or just in a, you know, a household that was not as happy as mine. Uh, she said she'd struggled to understand where they were coming from and might start from a place of like, it can't possibly be that bad. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to write a story that was about that push and pull of like someone who was pretty lucky and was getting by and what, how or how not were they able to empathize with people from other walks of life or people from different experiences. And so she decides to like, set it at society's default person yeah um so that whatever he does experience can teach him the most or something i'm not you know i'm not sure i didn't read the book so yeah Mm -hmm. tell me about your tell me about toby slash your feelings about toby (laughs) slash what that means for your feelings about the book okay so toby at the start of the book as we as we've said a a youngish white guy who is doing doing fine he he is not like you know super rich or super powerful or anything but he has like he has a stable relationship stable job uh stable friendships he seems like he's he seems like he's doing pretty well um and one night when he comes home from drinking with his friends he goes to bed and wakes up to noises out in his like living room and he goes to confront the people and it turns out that he is being robbed by someone uh, and they, and he charges at them and they beat him within an inch of his life. Pretty much like he sustains serious head injuries from this encounter, which is what sets the stage for the, for the rest of the book. Like he, he is a Toby's a guy who's like pretty quick on his feet. Hasn't really had to like think too much about his success. Like he just, he, he is at the small independent art gallery at the beginning of the of the book, and what he's considering is like, okay, when do I jump to a bigger thing, and like, sure. when, how do how do I start like building a bridge for myself to do that? There's never a doubt in his mind about like whether he can get that job or whether he like deserves it or not. It's just like a it's just a default assumption that he he can make the jump successfully. And he's probably right about, about yeah, that. Yeah. Like, sure. yeah, the, the way the book's reality operates and the way that real, like real reality operates <laughs> probably means that he's, that he's going to be fine. Okay. Sure. Um, and the book for me, I, I was reading, um, I think Taylor Lorenz on her Mastodon feed linked a thing in the New Republic about long COVID, which linked, a piece in a New York magazine from a Tom Skoka. Okay. Who was talking about. Oh, the Tom Skoka article. Yeah. 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 Who's he, he says uh, the able talking about long in the context of long COVID specifically yep. and how we're just kind of ignoring this yep. now yep. and this like huge wave of the, the sickness just because everybody, I guess wants to be done with it. And so we all are just deciding that it's over, even though it's not um, the able and the disabled aren't two different kinds of people, but the same people at different times. Yep. So I had read this, that quote, like just before starting the witch elm, and it really jumped out at me. Oh it's wow! Like, okay, Toby's now got to deal with you know his his like face has been like he's got a droopy eyelid now. He's got like some light paralysis on his left side. He slurs his language a little bit. His thoughts are muddy. Yep. 
Um, and this is this is not like a, a transitory thing. Like it's a, it's a thing that's going to get better, but it seems unlikely yeah. that he will return to the status quo of yeah. like before. Yeah. Um, and so the rest of this front part of the book is just like him sort of falling apart a little bit under under this. Like just just surprised by how different he feels. Like surprised by how his like temperament has changed surprised by how much like a totally different person. Yeah. He feels when he is like thinking about who he was before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like trying to, to come to terms with this and, and having a really rough time with of yep. it. Like I, as I think many people in this situation would do, like I have, you know, you, you have... take your ableness for, for granted mm-hmm. until you don't have it anymore. To yeah. your, to your Taylor, uh, to your, Tom Skoka reference. I, I have family members dealing with long COVID, and it, it is very much this experience of like, well, I had this is what I had planned. This was my self sense of self that I had planned. Yeah, kind of, and not even like specific plans that you have to cancel, but like this is the version of myself that I expected to be with for several years, and that is not who I'm going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, what do you do with that feeling? Because it is intensely personal. Like, you know. You can talk about it to somebody, but it is wrapped up in like you and your own body, and yeah, it's really yeah. rough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Toby, I, I like as a as a protagonist so far. I think you, I think I especially felt for him as he was like dealing with this this stuff. Um, but he's not, you know, he's I think a different reader, which is to say, like somebody who wasn't like Toby, uh, like straight white middle class yeah, guy, <laughs> might have more. Like, like I just, he is kind of a jerk sometimes, but in a, in a, I'm in, in a way where he's not trying to be a jerk, where he's not consciously being a jerk. He just like is literally isn't thinking about it. That exact vibe, uh, French talks about in the Lila Shapiro interview for Vulture. She says the people who are interesting, are the people like the guys you're talking about who are generally shocked to realize that reality for women on a day-to-day basis is different. This is about the Me Too stuff. That's how I wanted to write Toby as a decent guy who had just been living his life completely oblivious to other people's reality. She talks about how like the the actual portion of the population that are active jerks who know they are jerks and want to be jerks is relatively small compared to the people like Toby who just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And who honestly like react defensively yes if they ever are kind of confronted with their jerkiness or like the limits of their own experiences it's it's very easy to say and to think i'm just living my life i'm just one person like why are you hassling me about this when i am like decent and there are worse people out there in the world like why you know well when you don't why is this my problem when you're not Mm -hmm. used to viewing things systemically that is exactly the response that you might have yeah for sure yeah so so this this episode with toby serves two functions well i mean i guess we can talk about the plot thing that sets the stage for him being assaulted because it comes back all the way at the end okay Um, all right but in terms of storytelling, the the assault serves two purposes. First is to sort of expose Toby to this world where he's not just like effortlessly fine all the time. Okay. And two, because he's the narrator, to inject that classic unreliable like mystery book narrator thing. Sure. Where you can't be sure that the person that you're following didn't do it. Or that they're like recalling things correctly. Like it is sometimes you have to come up with a reason why a person who would otherwise be in the thick of this thing would not remember it. And yeah, Toby, some of that comes from having had a recent like severe head injury. And some of it is from like uh, a character says to him at one point, like everything bad that happens to you just like slides out of your head. Like you don't even think about it, which is. And so, yep. Yeah, and so some of it some of it is him not remembering because of brain injury and some of it is him not remembering because it just like it simply didn't register to him to like make a big deal about whatever it was at the time that he was told about it or learned about it or could have learned about it, you know what I mean? Yeah, this I mean this slipperiness feels very French to me. I don't 
remember the specifics of In the Woods because it's been so long, but I do know that that book ends like they, they solve a like they the the one crime comes to a resolution, but there's some stuff in the character's backgrounds that is like very deliberately left unresolved and yeah, she's that's very my, interested that's, yeah. in that. Yeah. That's my memory of the of the likeness too. Is like you have the you have the the setup thing for what the what the book is and then also you have a bunch of other like denouement stuff and yep. people like making self discoveries and <laughs> yeah and people showing up to other people's houses and being like, you know, this one thing just is bugging me. And then they go on for another like 60 pages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you come to, if you come to this expecting that kind of ton of French stuff, I think you'll be, I think you'll be satisfied. Like, <laughs> there is, there is some of that, but it is, it is like the, it is kind of a slow build is okay. you, you know, you, you deal with Toby like adjusting to this new reality and then his, cousin Susanna so um it's so it's S U S A N N A which I am pronouncing Susanna Yeah that's how I would pronounce which is how it too. I would pronounce it Yep the only reason I wouldn't is because my wife's name also is Susanna and it's spelled completely differently It's spelled completely differently Yeah. in a way that almost nobody can wrap their heads around It's v- yeah I don't know in why like so the, many in like people... the customer service industry <laughs> Yeah I don't know why people give her a hard time but yeah okay I don't get it but um Man, what was I saying? Well, okay, so you talk. You're, <laughs> I think you're building to like when. Oh the, yes, yes. The so plot his, his happens. His cousin calls. Or yes, his cousin calls him. She says, "Hey, Uncle Hugo is sick. Oh, uh, he's got brain cancer. He's got a few months to live. He needs somebody to like. If we don't want to put him in hospice, which we don't, and he doesn't, he does kind of need somebody to live in his house with him, um, and just kind of watch him." Okay. And I can't do it and your cousin Leon can't do it and none of his like brothers or their like partners can can do it and I know you're like off work right now because of your of your thing and his his wider family is not like acutely aware of how bad sure. his condition is like they know he's been attacked but it's only his girlfriend Melissa and his parents um and his like close friends who really know like how bad it actually is. Okay. Um and he he is with Melissa at the time and they kind of talk it up and they're like, OK, let's go do it. Because Toby has been really struggling at home, like jumpy uh, for understandable reasons, uh, just in a really bad mood all the time, angry with the world for for like letting this happen, angry with himself because he feels like he should be able to manage just like simple tasks, like remembering things in order or like making breakfast or like being able to make decisions, just things that did not things that that did not take effort before that are now taking. So, so honestly, like why not change the scenario Yeah, mm -hmm. and give him something to focus on externally? Okay. Uncle Hugo is mentioned in at least one or two of the Goodreads reviews that I didn't mention. And at least one other, review that i did read who like people who enjoy uncle hugo do we like uncle hugo yeah we like uncle hugo so after we go up to to ivy house which is what the name of this big old house is okay sure it's got a name um, i gotta have a name we we learn about this family history where um toby and his cousins Susanna and leon just kind of had the run of this place as as kids they were they had a sort of siblingy closeness yeah okay and they're you know it's it's a classic the adults sit inside and talk and drink and <laughs> the kids run around outside and people have half a, half an eye on them, but they're mostly kind of allowed to, to have their run of the place. Yeah, sure. Or they stay with Hugo, who isn't married, who has no kids of his own. Um, he's like a genealogist who who researches people's backgrounds. And like it's he has a, a neat little uh, aside about how the work has changed in like a 23 and me style. Oh, neat. Oh, world fun. where like he used to get to give people good news and like little presents about things that happen in their background. And now people come to him being like, man, I thought I was this and it, I took a, a genealogy test and it turns out that I'm only like 30, 13% this. And like, how do I, can you help me reconcile my sense of self with this, Oh you know, God. with what with what my gene map is saying or like, can you help me find my secret family or, you know, it's 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 more that he has to give bad news or he has to like be a therapist for these people now rather than, you know, huh. that 
What's that show? I'm trying to think even who. Oh, the Finding Your Roots show with yeah, the um, Finding Your Roots Skip show. Gates? Oh, is that Henry Skip Lewis Gates? Gates? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. friend of the show. I don't know if he's a friend of the show. <laughs> no. <laughs> But no, finding your roots. It's like a I, friend in law of the there other are other show. there are other shows that have done that genealogy thing. There's another one. It might have been called Who Do You Think You Are? That was on. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking. Of. I think Sue's watched that for a bit. Yeah. Um, Laura and I ha- are are partial to Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates, um, mm-hmm. and he's he always does the fun thing where he likes to like tell people at the end that they're dna cousins with someone else famous and it's like yeah. in the back of their book and it's mm-hmm. it's very it's very fun it's very charming yeah. but yeah, yeah. It, but you used, to, you used more... to get to do the the fun part of that and now he mostly gets to do the not fun part yep, of it yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and he still and he still does it and he still takes it very seriously and he still has a lot of fun tracking down like old written records of stuff like it's, it's just wild to me like People would keep journals or like financial records. I think when my so my grandfather died in November and one of the things like in his effects was his his mom died when she was like 40. Okay. And she kept this like notebook of all the money that she spent and also just like oblique little like references to things that had happened. And like her husband was horrible to her and like sure. and, and beat her and was just an awful guy um but yeah like you have you have just like this little written artifact of what was going on that you can kind of work backwards like piece together what life must have been like yeah and our generation certainly like we we are we have more of a written record in some ways than any of these people truly but like there is nothing that any of us could do to go back and get like our AOL instant messenger logs from when we were 16. Like there, there's yeah. just literally like so much of it is just totally gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Or right. like totally inaccessible, except if you're like law enforcement with a warrant or something. Well, <laughs> like, and just, some of us, there's I, not as much. Of, it's more ephemeral, I think, in, in a lot of ways, even yeah. though the quantity of it is more, you know? Yeah. And, and some of that is like the realities of living in a world where like, no, I don't necessarily want people to go find the live journal I had but I was using live journal instead of writing in a book yeah like I don't know that I want people to go find that sometimes I was using live journal instead of writing like papers for school like I <laughs> well, yeah oh definitely for sure yeah. um, but I definitely don't need people to read it but if it was my diary and like a relative found it 60 years from now that might be interesting but if, if you end up being a famous like super cool guy oh, for yeah. some reason and you still got time don't i got time it. all right you i'm working got, on you it you still Sorry, got time to know. be a famous super cool person <laughs> but like after you die in a skateboarding accident at the ripe old age of 100 because i was super cool yes yeah like people are not going to be able to be like oh we've you know we've we've got the version of of himself that craig sold us all but then also we've got, you know, his letters to his wife that we can that we can dig through to see about like his secret vices or whatever. It no, is, yeah. You know? Can you find can you find my AOL away messages from when I was twenty? No, yeah, you can't. Yeah. And can and can you tell the ones that Craig wrote from the ones that I wrote when Craig left his computer unlocked in our room? Who knows? Shut up. <laughs> Don't you dare bring that up in front of the podcast. <laughs> So it sounds like you liked Uncle Hugo is where yeah, this Uncle is Hugo's, all getting Uncle here. Hugo's cool. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we still haven't gotten to the titular witch elm. I must we say. Haven't gotten to We're the pretty witch far elm. in. Listen, Feels like we are the novel right now. That, yeah, that's how you feel when you're reading the book. It's like, okay, we got all this family drama and the stuff with Toby is happening. And his cousins seem a little like there's something that they're on edge about. Something. I don't know what. Okay. Um. Some of that is just the the weird feeling you get when you're waiting for somebody to die, and some of it is mm. family stuff that is unique to everybody being gathered in the same place, and all these like old relationships and personalities bouncing off each other. Um, but yeah, eventually Hugo has had uh, Toby and Leon and Susanna over to talk about what's going to happen to the house because some, you know, the, um, it would normally go to like Hugo's siblings who are the, you know, the Toby and Susanna and Leon's like dads. Sure. Um, 
but they would be leaning towards selling it and like the cousins don't like want to keep it in the family. And so Toby is getting them all together to say, hey, I've decided it's going to be shared like six ways between my siblings and, and you three and whatever happens with it has to be kind of, you know, I, I feel like I'm passing the buck a little bit, but this feels like the best way to keep it in the family. If people want to keep it in the family or, you know, do what you want with it. If people want to do what they want with it. Okay. And they're having this conversation. Uh, Toby and Melissa have been living there together for a few weeks. They've, they've gotten into like a settled thing. We're slowly watching, uh, uncle Hugo deteriorate. Uh, but we're also kind of watching Toby get a little, you know, kind of recover a little bit and, and benefit from the change of scenery and from being around like familiar things. Um, Susanna's kids are out in the garden playing around and one of them is digging in this witch elm, and if he finds a skull, oh boy! And then the cops come, and this is so we had when Toby is in the hospital, we get our first encounter with some Dublin detectives. Oh. Um, a guy named Martin is the main guy there who's just like come, and he is asking all kinds of questions. And Toby, like partly because his his brain is having trouble functioning, um is just like very, is very stressed out by this. Like you always get the, like from the lines of questioning where they ask you the same questions over and over again and they get really pointed sometimes. He, he always gets this impression that they're like trying to accuse you of something in addition to like exploring what the crime is. So he's not like well disposed to detectives in his like brief brush with them. Yeah. Uh, so another, another group of detectives comes out. The guy, this guy is named Rafferty is the main one. And he is investigating and he's being like sort of, you know, sort of like pleasant, but also interviewing everyone and trying to play everybody off each other because he's trying to solve the case. He's trying to do what a a Dublin murder squad detective would do in a Dublin murder squad book. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that the skeleton in the tree belongs to this guy named Dominic, who they all went to high school with. Um, And everybody thought that just after high school, but before college, he had killed himself. Okay. Um, because he had disappeared. A lot of people got a text from his number that just said, sorry. Mm. Um, and they had all assumed because of rumors that had been flying around that because, you know, he, he had done badly in some like college prep tests and he hadn't gotten into the college that he wanted. And he had been another like child of white privilege who had kind of had everything handed to him. Uh, he just, you know, he, this was his, the first time he had ever failed and he didn't see that he had a future. And so he just decided to end it was the, the story that went around among everybody. Uh, but no, they now they found a skeleton in this tree. And from here it becomes, it, it becomes clear pretty quickly that Leon and Susanna are hiding something. Mm. Um, because Leon is acting especially jumpy and Susanna is being especially like, she she's just up to something in a in a way that I can't like describe more specifically. Yeah, than that. sure. Okay. Um Did you generally like their like just their characters as they were written overall? Their, like their char- yeah, everybody's characterization is, is pretty good. Like even even people who only appear for a little bit, like um like uh Toby's dad and okay. mom, like are are pretty well sketched and That's one of the things that, that good old Stevie King points out as like what elevates the book. If like, if you are vibing with this book, one of the things you're vibing with is the characters and how they are portrayed. Yeah. If if you're vibing with the book, you're vibing with it because what some people on Goodreads, I think are interpreting as like a a drawn outness or like a long walk off a short pier is I think Tana French doing character building and mood building and vibe building. Like it's, it's a little, it's it's not exactly like this, but it's a little secret history ish. Well, Tana French loves that book. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I've like yep. reread that book and, and appreciated it more the yep. second time, I think we've we've re- we've recorded and released two episodes about the secret <laughs> history. No, uh, which she are really very different I, in vibes, as I, I recall. But. I it's it's in my notes from one of our previous Tana French episodes how much she likes that book. So yeah, but it's it's very much the the same kind of um th- using flashback partly and and conversation like contemporary conversations partly. She builds this. 
like Ivy House up to be this like very special and specific location. Yep. Okay. And the relationship between these three characters as being this this really deep bond that sort of drifted apart. So Toby thinks. Sure. Um. And yeah, that that is a lot of what this this middle part of the book is bent on establishing is just like, who are these characters to each other? What is their relationship to each other? So that when Rafferty is, seems to be closing in on like Toby as the main suspect, we feel, you know, we feel something when Hugo says, okay, that's enough. I'm going to turn myself in as the killer of this guy to like protect everybody. Oh, wow. Okay. And he dies in police custody because of his, like it just coincidentally his brain tumor comes for him and he and he dies in police custody after having admitted to everything. Huh. And at that point, and this is I I'm not gonna spoil the end end of the book, but this is like the big confession part that that Goodreads review I I had mentioned was talking about. It's Leon and Susanna talking about how Dominic was it's as Toby and other people are being interrogated by Rafferty, the the detective. Okay. Like Toby's recollection of Dominic is that he's like basically a good guy. I don't I don't know anybody who had a real problem with him. Like he was like nobody was super close with him. I wasn't super close with him, but he was around and he was fine. Um, and I think we've all known people. We've like all that. known, yeah, no, definitely. Or thought we've known people like that yeah, for sure. And it turns out that like he did some really like Leon, who was gay, he did some really and and has some like stereotypical gay qualities. He did some really nasty stuff to Leon. Like he was hitting on Susanna and kind of threatening her all the time. Um, we, this, this is where that privilege stuff thing that Toby comes wouldn't in have noticed. Again. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. stuff that Toby wouldn't have noticed and stuff that they sort of tried to come to him about because he keeps saying, you know, why didn't you tell me I would have done oh, something great. if you'd told me. Great. And they both say, and, 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 you know, even, even after this, he's like, well, you didn't like tell me, tell me, you didn't tell me how bad it was. But they both tried to come to him to tell him something in 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 some way, and he either downplayed it a little bit. He was just like, "Yeah, I'll go have a conversation with him," or was like, "Oh, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's not as bad as you're thinking it is." Like he's just you know he's just like an 18 year old. He's being stupid. Like you just kind of like have to let it let it go. Sure, sure. Um, and not only not doing anything about it at the moment, but like it not even registering enough with him that when asked like what kind of a person Dominic was, it occurred to him to think about that stuff. And so I, I think what the, what the, the coolest thing about the characterization of, of Toby that she's doing is like with this head injury, you've got just enough of a, a blurred line between like what literally can't he remember because he's been like beat half to death with a candlestick and what can't he remember because it just would never have occurred to him in a million years to remember it or think about it. Yeah. 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 Um, I like that. Well, cause it sounds like he can kind of be his own red herring, like whether or not he is like, I don't know from uh-huh. what, from I've researched on the book. I don't know where it I'm not, I won't, I won't, I don't want to spoil it. I don't think. Yeah. Um, but that like, th- there's a quote from her in that vulture interview where she says like, she's interested in this idea that he, becomes his own suspect as he's trying to figure this out. And um, she says that that is like a form of his own relationship to power. Quote, the idea that he's a victim is somehow the most horrific to him. He would rather be the murderer who at least has some form of power within this terrifying new world where he's found himself than be the victim who's completely powerless and sort of buffeted this way and that way, driven by everyone else's needs and desires. Yeah, at a certain at a certain point, he's like, yeah, I, I must be the killer. I must have killed Dominic. Everybody's asking me these questions and acting like I did it because I did it and I just can't remember it. Like, there, yeah. there is a point where he decides... I must have been I must have been the killer. Now I need to now I need to ask questions of Rafferty and of Leon and Susanna and I need to figure out why I did it because surely it was some noble reason. And so once he starts discovering the stuff about Dominic treating Leon and Susanna poorly, he was like, "Oh yeah, this it makes sense that I would have done it." Oh, cuz I'm a hero and I for did these something reasons. good. Yeah, yeah okay. because yeah, cuz I must have been a hero. And it's huh. not like I'm 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 no, no, making no, no, no. it a little bit cleaner than than yeah. it than it happens in the book, but he does have this this feeling that 
not only is he at the center of it in some way, but like he he connects it back to his assault in his own apartment. Yeah, he sure. Gets it into his head that like huh. Leon and Susanna, Leon and or Susanna like hired these guys to like come in and and beat him so that he would be like a less credible witness so that they could pin a murder on him. Like it is very him centric and it becomes clear in this long confession thing at the end is that he is, he had been awful to Leon. He was like actively assaulting Susanna. Dominic was. Yeah. Dominic was. And she just decided, and it's, it's interesting to watch uh, Susanna who is, portrayed as like a quote-unquote bleeding heart liberal type yeah who's very upset about the starving children or whatever and then she has this arc where in deciding to kill this crappy dude in deciding to uh like have kids in deciding to focus on small tangible things that she can do to change the world like i made a person i unmade a person like for her to come to this sense of like individual agency this way while Toby like slowly discovers what like systemic anything is. It's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting way to make these two characters kind of pass each other. Even. Yeah. What yeah. were you going to say? No, just that she was the one brought up in, in some of the reviews as the, the character who had the most tensions around the police being involved yeah. and mm-hmm. um, for, for the first book, for French that is not from the police's perspective that, you know, her character was brought up as someone who's like voicing a lot of the like, yeah, but she's, she is, she is like decided, she decided to kill this guy and Leon was going to help her. And so Toby listening to them confess, this begins to realize like, not only like first this like close bond that I thought the three of us had, stopped being close yeah it was just i was on the outside of it i am the one who's left out of it yeah and to not only does this not this case not center on me in any way but like the only way that i was involved in it at all is they had to like make sure that i was tired enough to go to bed early on the night that they did it so i wouldn't get in the way (laughs) okay like not only is he he has this whole section where he's like not only am I not the white knight like rushing in to save everybody but I'm not even like a squire who can like stand on the sidelines and like help carry somebody oh or something God. like the, he's this just book predates I think any time that I would have said main character syndrome out loud mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's pretty good I mean, like, Toby has deployment. main character syndrome yeah. because he is the main character. But I don't know. I, like I, haven't exam- yeah. I haven't examined the like metatextual layer of this and, and <laughs> discovered whether Toby knows that he's the main character in a book or not. Okay, he's, he's not just, like, Deadpool. Ex- Listen, but he's like, but he expects himself to be. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then he slowly. The whole book is about him slowly discovering that he's kind of not. <laughs> I guess. So, have you spoiled the ending of the book, or is there no. still like more? No. Okay. There's still another layer to it, which okay. which ties into his. Um, that like the, the dual reasons for his forgetfulness, it yep. ties into his privilege. It ties into what set everything off in the first place. I'm not going to. I, yeah, I was just, you were, you started throwing things around. I was like, is Andrew spoiling the book real hard? Right I'm, now? I'm spoiling a lot of things about the book, I think, but the, the final like twist of it. Okay, cool. And there, and there are some, I think everything that relates to Toby and his relationship with his family is interesting. Sure. And there is a conversation uh, that sort of set, sort of sets off the end of the book where Rafferty comes back and he does the, well, there's a couple things, you know, Hugo confessed and, and everything seems tied up with a neat little package and I got to follow the evidence, but there's one thing I was wondering about. And that's Some the real Columbo like, stuff. <laughs> yeah. And there is, I think that there is a thing that Toby does there that feels just kind of uh, off the off the rails a little bit. To okay, me. sure. Okay, but I don't know. Like o- overall, I thought it was you know it's a little bit it's a little bit long, but a ton of French has a way knows a way around a sentence, knows how to establish like a sense of place, knows how to establish not just characters, but to make the characters all feel like they've all known each other for thirty years. I I feel like that is like part of what makes her really tick. Is yeah. that is that kind of she really seems invested in these long relationships 
that whenever something does happen, they have heightened stakes because people like have presumed relationships with each other versus yeah. what the actual relationship is. And, yeah. And uh, like, regardless of how you feel about hanging out with your own family and how like family reunions have gone, she's really good at summoning the feeling of what the whole family being together is. Oh, like. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. There are individual elements of it that I, that I don't, think that I loved as much as the likeness though. It's obviously it's been many years since I, since I read it, I would have to go back to other Dublin murder squad books, <laughs> sure. I think to really say qualitatively whether this was weaker or not. I just know that I read the criticisms or, or like the nonplussedness in some yeah. of those three star Goodreads reviews. And I was like, okay, I see what, I see what you're talking about. Final question for you is okay. some of it just that like, Toby as I I guess there is in a murder mystery or some sort of mystery novel where there is Mm -hmm. like someone whose job it is to find the solution if we're with them as a as a narrator that like gives the story a a very clean uh plot thrust and direction right Mm -hmm. is did you find Toby's less engaging or was it just kind of messier no like toby toby thinks he's figuring stuff out like he thinks he's doing a whodunit like investigation where he can he can outsmart everybody there's even a a a stage where he is discovered that leon and Susanna are maybe trying to play around him where he's like yeah i have not felt this much like myself since the accident like my my brain is my brain is fired up about this i'm thinking about this i'm gonna outmaneuver people i'm gonna figure out everything that happened I'm going to tie it up in a neat little package. He, it's just that he, he is under the mistaken assumption that it is his thing to unravel. Sure. Okay. And it just fundamentally isn't. Yeah. I, I was just wondering how that affected you as a reader. I don't know if that. No, makes- it's, it's, it's you, you get the, you get the classic whodunit like rush from it, I think. Okay. Because cool. you were, you were learning stuff along with Toby and you, you know, you think you know who did it and and you have to sit with Toby as he thinks that maybe he did it, which is definitely a thing that, that I think mystery books like to break out sometimes. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, what yeah. if the narrator was the was the person who perpetrated the crime in the first place? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only toward the end of the book that you realize like, yeah, T- Toby's been learning all of this, but it's not he's not solving anything like all, all of this stuff was <laughs> was set into motion a decade yeah. ago by by other people without even involving him and he's and he is just learning about it after the fact yeah yeah i, want, yeah. I could i could see how that might be deflating for some people if that's what you know yeah yeah but but the based on the way that like conventional murders go murder i mostly i mostly go, i mostly enjoyed it i found it a pretty quick read for how long it is yeah sure but I did find myself being like, eh, about the like the ultimate ending of it. I think it chooses to be a bummer when it could have chosen not to be, and I guess that's fine. But okay. like, I think it's it maybe is more thematically appropriate to have Toby's life kind of fall apart in a way, yeah, rather than like returning to an effortless sense of of privilege, like because of who he is. Yep. But I think. I don't know. It just it maybe feels more satisfying to give somebody some hope or something at the end of a book about that yeah. sure. than yeah. it is to be like, yeah, uh, the way that society sees you after your after your accident is going to totally define everything good and bad about your life, and that's just the way that it's it's going to be. And like maybe I think that like probably unfortunately reflects reality, but like narratively, it's not as. It doesn't feel as nice, I think. It doesn't you it know? doesn't have you close the book and go, Wahoo. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I I'd like to close books and, and do that, you know? I know this about you. Yeah. yeah. Like Super Mario. I like to be like, Wahoo, it's me. I read a book. Uh <laughs> thank you so much for the reading of my book. Uh, it's, I you scrawl that in the end of every book you read. Mm-hmm. Just so you somebody says it to you. Yeah. Well, thanks for telling me about the witch elm, Andrew. You're well, you're welcome. Uh, oh, there it is, Mamma yes. Mia! Oh my goodness! Uh, if you, the listener, have any thoughts on Tana French, um, if you've read any of these new books of hers and want to tell us about the 
I have already forgotten that man's name. Like Cal Tom, Hooper? I, no, I just want to say Tom Skoka, which is not his name. Cal <laughs> no. Hooper is his name. Okay. Tell us about that Cal book. Hooper. Cal has, Hooper. Has big J.K. Rowling writing under a fake alias. Like, mm. that's the kind of, I can't remember the name of the guy who's like Stork something. It's like some kind of a bird. Uh, well, that's Robert Galbraith. Yeah, that's her. That's her name, but the name of the character who's oh, writing about it's a similar like. Yeah, oh, I forgot like, this the the instant that I heard. It's it. like Stork Ampersand or something. What is his name? I'm uh, looking it up. Cormoran Strike. Oh, we were so close. <laughs> anyway, tell us about your thoughts on Tana French. Send us an email overduepod at gmail Hit us up on social media at overduepod or whatever the social media platform will allow a variation of that to be. Uh, thanks to Becky, Aaron, we should Mel. be more. We should be like more specific about the platform. We're on Blue we're, Sky. We're on Threads. Yeah, I believe we're, our Twitter presence has mostly wound down at this point. We're still on Facebook. The links still, are there. Yeah, much to our <laughs> mutual shame. We're if that's still on where Facebook. you are, we'll be there. It's fine. Mm-hmm, but yeah, mm-hmm. we're trying to spin up our Blue Sky, our Blue Ski account, Blue Ski, and, and mm-hmm. our Threads. Yeah, and we're of course we're on Instagram. Overdue Pod. We do. That's probably our most consistent right now so go there too uh, becky aaron mel marcy wordle may and more for reaching out in the last week thank you so much our theme song is composed by nick larangis andrew if folks want to know more about the show where do they go overduepodcast.com is our internet website uh, we have our schedule for january up there we have links to the books you can click to go to bookshop.org buy them read along haven't talked about that in a while but it's still yeah. there mm-hmm. uh and patreon.com slash overdue pod is our patreon project uh donate and get up ep- get access to bonus episodes early get access to our long read project early we just posted a new episode of stop homer time recently covering yep. books uh five, through what, five six and seven yeah mm-hmm. and uh we're gonna be posting a special treat to that feed pretty soon yep um that will eventually release to the public feed but it's going to be a patron exclusive for a good long time we also, uh, you also get uh, access to our discord community and all the things that people are cooking up in there like it, it has become a thing that i don't control anymore yeah it's great and that's that's been fun to watch it kind of spin up on uh, like people are doing andrew like, used audio, to rule it with clubs. an iron fist i but, did uh, but now it's become even. like a self-sustaining perpetual motion machine of, yeah, of ideas and it's good yeah um patreon.com slash pod what else are they going to say about that oh we later this week on the main feed you should see our december bonus episode on the snow queen posting um you can tune in for another live chat with some of our patreon supporters in february so join up if you want to do that yeah and craig what are you reading next week nothing to see here that's the name of the book. It's by Kevin Wilson. Yeah, I can't imagine a name of a book tuned to make people not download the podcast <laughs> more, than, more than that. Uh, but there you go. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.